Good morning, everyone. Merry Christmas. It's good to be with you this morning. So for those of you who are, who are new or didn't hear the announcement last month, I'm going to be stepping in here as the interim pastor uh, until the summertime. When we, we think we found someone for the job, we're not, we won't be 100% sure until February. So in February, we can hopefully make that announcement that that person will be down here in June. So just so you guys are, are, are up to date about that. Um, if, if, you're, if you don't really know who I am, actually, my main job is uh, that I'm the associate pastor up at Freedom Village Church, and I'm still going to be doing that. I'm not completely abandoning my job. Um, I'll be up there for most of the week, um, but I'll be down here every Sunday. Um, <clears throat> and actually, the last Sunday of the month, I'm probably going to be up there, just so you guys know, just so I don't completely lose touch with them. Um, but... Um, I'm excited to be down here with you guys, and I'm actually usually down here during the week, once a week anyway, to check in on the preschool. So if any of you would like to have coffee or, or dinner or just meet up, um, I'm available to do that. So I'd love to, to hang out with you guys while I'm down here. Um, but this morning is an unusual morning. Um, we don't usually get to celebrate Christmas on Sunday morning, so this is kind of a special service this morning. My dad was a pastor, and I remember um, a couple of times when I was a kid, my parents telling me that we weren't going to open presents, that we, were, we, we had to go to church. <laughs> and I remember being really shocked. So we won't keep your kids too long if they haven't opened their presents yet. Um, we've been going through a sermon series this month based on Advent. Um, and of course, Advent is the celebration of the arrival of Messiah. And we're not only celebrating his arrival, but we've been eager, eagerly anticipating this day, Christmas Day, where we get to celebrate his birth. Um, but we also we're looking forward to his return, the second advent, when Jesus comes back as he promised he would. So Nathan just read our scripture from Luke 2. I think we're all very familiar with the Christmas story. Um, but I, I want to specifically focus this morning on the angels and the shepherds. So let's start off with the shepherds. Who, who were these shepherds? Good, it's working. Sometimes our Wi-Fi is kind of spotty, but it's actually working, so that's great. So the shepherds in this period of Israel's history had a pretty unsavory reputation, actually. And that's strange to consider because some of Israel's greatest heroes were shepherds. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and even one of their first kings, King David, was, were all shepherds. But in this period of Israel's history, most shepherds took care of sheep far away in the wilderness, um, far away from cities and towns, so they were kind of on their own. And people regarded them as dishonest and thieving. Shepherds could not be witnesses in a court they could not fulfill a judicial office, and they could not enter the temple. They were considered unclean. So our passage today says that these shepherds were abiding in the field, um, and, and the, word, the Greek word used here for abiding means camping out. So they were most likely living in tents, and I can't imagine that they would smell very good. So you can kind of see why they may have been considered unclean. But we're going to see a little bit later that to God, that doesn't matter. So Luke also says that they were keeping watch over the sheep. They were guarding the sheep from thieves and from wild animals. 
as well as making sure that the sheep didn't wander off. So these shepherds may have been considered unclean, but they had a very important job. These particular shepherds were not actually far off in the wilderness. The the passage tells us in verse 8 that they were in the fields nearby Bethlehem. And actually, according to an old Jewish book called the Mishnah, it's from AD 200, it says that shepherds that were raising sheep close to Bethlehem were usually shepherds that raised sheep for for temple sacrifices. So that's kind of interesting. These were most likely shepherds that raised sacrificial lambs. And, And these are the shepherds to whom the angels announced the birth of Jesus, the last sacrificial lamb needed on our behalf. So I'm sure most of you are familiar with the parables of Jesus and, and which are kind of confusing stories, right, that Jesus tells. And he, he wants to be confusing. He wants people to, to really think about these stories that he's telling. He wants them to think about their faith in God. He wants them to think about their lives. And, and he wants them to think about their beliefs. And so on more than one occasion, Jesus teaches or tells his parable. And then he says, he who has ears to hear let him hear. And he's talking about people who truly seek to listen and people who truly seek to understand. Do you remember the parable of the sower? In the parable of the sower, the seed that is scattered on the good soil bears fruit, right? The seed grows. And what Jesus means by, uh, sorry, unlike some of the other soil where the seeds do not grow and do not bear fruit, And what Jesus means by seeds in this parable is the gospel, the good news of the kingdom and the things that he's been teaching. So these these shepherds, they were ready to hear. They had ears to hear. Their hearts were good soil. And whether or not they actually were shepherds of sacrificial lambs, we don't know for sure. We're going by that, that book, the Mishnah. Um, But whether or not they were sacrificial shepherds raising sacrificial lambs or just normal everyday shepherds, they shouldn't have been chosen to receive this kind of news. By our worldly standards, they shouldn't have been chosen. They were considered unclean, remember. Um, But they were chosen and they did receive it. They were chosen by God to, to be the first to hear the announcement of the Messiah's coming. Shepherds looking after temple sacrifices or regular shepherds, it doesn't matter, right? Both were considered dirty and unclean, unclean jobs in that day, but God chose them anyway because God doesn't care about outward appearance. God cares about what's inside here, right? Inside our hearts. And we know that because of what the Bible says. Whoops, I'm already getting behind on my slides. (laughs) Uh, Matthew 23, starting verse 27 says, this is Jesus speaking. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 28, says, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, 
to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So God is not concerned with outward beauty. God is not concerned with outward cleanliness. That's, uh, God is concerned about what's in here, right? That's the cleanliness and the beauty that's important to him. God's kingdom doesn't work the way that kingdoms on earth work. Um, God's kingdom is completely different than we're used to seeing things work on earth back then and even now. We expect people of status to be chosen for honor and position and glory. We expect the rich to be favored over the poor. Who received the COVID vaccines first, the rich countries or the poor countries? The rich countries, right? That's the way the world works. Um, but Jesus says, the first shall be last. And he tells the Pharisees, the tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of heaven ahead of you, which is, a, which is a shocking statement. These are the religious leaders of Jesus' day. And, and when we look at who J Jesus chose to be his disciples, we, he chose fishermen, he chose a tax collector, one of the most hated people group in all of Israel because they collected money for Rome. And he chose an insurrectionist. Judas actually belonged to a radical group of Jews who opposed Rome um, openly. And some of them were even terrorists. So these weren't people that would have been chosen to be disciples of a rabbi. Um, they weren't even people that deserved to sit at the feet of Jesus, right? But they were chosen. And what does that tell us about the kingdom of God? You don't enter the kingdom of God because of your position. You enter because of your willingness to follow. Let me say that again. You don't enter the kingdom of heaven because of your position. You enter because of your willingness to follow. And, <clears throat> excuse me, Jesus asked these men to follow, and they did. Maybe they didn't know at the time that he was Messiah, but they knew that he was somebody worth following. Seek me and you will find me, Jesus says. Knock and the door will be opened. And the shepherds were chosen to receive this good news. And what did they do? They, they received it. They had ears to hear. And they, they sought out Jesus. They went to look for him. Seek me and you will find me. And they did. All right, so we'll come back to the shepherds. But I want to look at the angels now. Who, who are angels? So we, we, you probably know angels are messengers of God. We see this throughout the Bible. And the role of an angel is to bring messages literally from God. Um, and we see this throughout the Christmas story too, don't we? An angel appears to Mary and Zechariah in Matthew, and it tells us that an angel appeared to Joseph as well. And what did these angels do? They brought messages from God, right? Anyway, an angel appears to the shepherds and he tells them not to be afraid because they were terrified. And I'm sure that we would be terrified as well if, if, if that happened to us. We're not told who the angel was that first visited the shepherds, but maybe that's not important. The important thing here is the message. And this angel has a very important message. I bring you good news that will be great joy for all people. He says, this, this news was to be proclaimed to all people. So again, we're not told who this angel was, 
But after he announces the good news, a whole host of angels joins him, or an army of angels appears. And it's not enough for one angel to announce this event. It has to be big. It has to be grandiose because this is the most important event in human history. Back then and even now, when a king is announced, it's someone's job to do that, right? But this is the king. And so it starts with a single angel which is a, and, and the glory of God, which is a pretty big event in itself. And then the whole sky is filled with angels. Can you imagine everywhere you look, there's angels, and they're singing probably the most beautiful song you've ever heard in your life. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. This reminds me of another joyous event. When Jesus was entering Jerusalem, um, we celebrate Palm Sunday, the crowds couldn't contain themselves. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they shouted and they sang. And the Pharisees say to Jesus, Jesus, rebuke them. They're calling you the Messiah. But what does Jesus say? If they kept quiet, the rocks would cry out. This joy and this praise can't be contained. And likewise, the angels could not contain themselves that night in Bethlehem. And they exploded with praise. And it's catchy. The shepherds are excited too. As soon as the angels leave, they want to see for themselves. But I'm getting ahead, ahead of myself. Before we get there, I want to talk about the meaning of the angels' song. So what are they actually singing about? Well, glory to God in the highest is what they say, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And the glory to God part is, is pretty, pretty easy to understand. God has sent his son, the Messiah, into this world, and he's done it in the most miraculous and unexpected way. Jesus is both man and God, and he is the glory of God. He points people to the Father. He brings the Father glory. And to be honest, I'm kind of simplifying it here. I could probably do a whole sermon on glory, but the gist of it, the basic idea, is that the Messiah Jesus will bring glory to God with his birth, with his life, and with his death and resurrection. And he will point people to the Father. So the, this angel also talks about peace, and that's the candle that we lit this morning. On earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased, he says. But I think we're kind of used to the King James translation of this verse because that's the translation that we sing in several Christmas carols. And, and the King James translation says, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. I, I understand the King James translation, but I think other translations make it more clear. King James almost sounds like God is giving peace and goodwill to all men, or peace is his goodwill to men. However, the angels aren't actually announcing this peace for everyone. What they're announcing is peace for God's people. Peace among those with whom he is well pleased, or peace to men on whom his favor rests, is what the NIV says. So this peace is for his people, the the people who have chosen to make their lives about him. These are the people that God delights in. It's us. 
Psalm 147 verse 11 says, The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in, in those whose hope is his steadfast love. So what does this word peace actually mean? The Greek word used here for peace literally means quietness and rest. But the angels are announcing the coming of Messiah. So what does the Old Testament prophecy tell us about Messiah? Let's look at Isaiah chapter 9. It says, starting in verse 6, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So Isaiah is saying here, the Messiah is going to be born as a male child, a son, unto us, or in Israel, and he will be called Prince of Peace. And that's exactly what the angels in Luke is saying, right? Um, in Luke 2. But why is, why is this Messiah called the Prince of Peace? Why is Jesus called the Prince of Peace? Well, I think Isaiah tells us in the next verse, in verse 7, it says, Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Isaiah says that the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, will rule and bring peace forever. What kind of peace is he going to bring? Certainly the references to government and to David's kingdom refer to an earthly rule. So will he bring an end to war and global chaos? He will, right? He eventually will. Um, but in Luke, the angels declare that he will bring peace to those with whom he is well pleased, meaning just his people. So what kind of peace are we talking about here? Is Isaiah right in saying that the Messiah will bring the kind of peace that means an end to wars and strife all over the earth? Or are the angels right in saying that this peace, this quietness and rest, is just for his people? And honestly, they're both right. That's why he's the Prince of Peace. He's going to bring all kinds of peace, not just in an earthly, physical sense, but in a much deeper way as well. So what does the angel say to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1? Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 1. It says, You are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And I, I want to look at sin for a second. What does sin cause in people's lives? Um, if we look at what David says after his whole ordeal with Bathsheba and Uriah in Psalm 32, he says, When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat definitely does not sound like a person who has peace. Sin robs us of peace. And in Romans 1, Paul tells us what happens when people choose themselves over God. In Romans 1, starting in verse 28, it says, Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. 
Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are like backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. So these are not people full of peace. Sin robs us of peace. Sin robs us of something else as well. Let's look at 1 John 1. It says, That which we have seen and declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So sin robs us of peace, but sin also hinders our fellowship with God. Not our relationship with God. Our relationship is secure in Christ. If we are truly followers of Jesus, then we are God's children. No one can change that. But our fellowship, our communion, or our interaction with God changes when we sin. If a husband cheats on his wife, she's still his wife, at least for the time being. But their fellowship, their interaction, their intimacy will change. Um, All sorts of things related to their fellowship will change, right? She won't trust him anymore. She will question his love for her. And he will know that the trust and the intimacy is gone, and he will interact differently with her. Their interactions or their fellowship will not be the same because of sin. That's what sin does. It separates and hinders fellowship. And not just fellowship with God, but fellowship with others as well. So what does this say about peace? It means that we cannot have peace without Jesus. In Colossians, Paul spends the first few chapters trying to explain and remind the Colossians that what Jesus has done, uh, sorry, what Jesus has done and what making him Lord of their lives actually means. He's trying to remind them of this. And in chapter 3, starting in verse 12, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. So because of Jesus, our sins have been forgiven. We are able to have peace with God with ourselves and with each other because of what he's done. He's taken away the guilt and the shame, right? He's washed us clean before God so that we can approach him in prayer. We can have fellowship with him. But here in Colossians, Paul makes it clear that peace is not our right. We still have to choose it. We still have to to seek it. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, he says. So how do we do that? How, what does it take? What does it say in the previous verse in Colossians? Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Bear with each other and forgive one another. So we need to choose peace by living it out. 
by confessing our sins to God, by confessing our sins to each other, and then forgiving each other when we are sinned against. So Jesus is the Prince of Peace, but he's not forcing it down anybody's throat. It's still our choice to live in peace. And that, and that could be a car, hard concept for us to, to accept, especially if, if you're, you're stressed out and you don't know why, or you just don't have peace and you don't know why. In those situations, we've got to ask God, why am I so anxious or why am I so stressed out? Please reveal to me this reason so I can work out what you're dealing, what you're working in me. Do I need to forgive someone? Do I need to, do I need to just go to you and confess something? All right, let's go back to the angels. So when they say, for unto us is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Messiah, and they sing peace among those with whom he is pleased, they're saying this Prince of Peace is going to usher in a peace that has never been known before. Peace in a way that has never been known. Peace because our sins will be forgiven. I'm behind, aren't I? <laughs> peace because our sins will be forgiven and the guilt and the shame that comes from sin will be gone. Peace because real fellowship with God is possible. And that's never really been possible before. We can have fellowship with God now. We, we can, I'm all over the map with these slides, sorry guys. Um, peace is because real fellowship with God is possible. Um, that's never really been possible for most individuals before to have real peace with God. Moses and Elijah had interactions with God, King David as well, but this is different. This is a new way of God interacting with mankind. And it's through his son. Real fellowship with the father is through his son. And it starts here in Luke with physical fellowship. The shepherds can actually go and see the Messiah with their own eyes. Um, they can touch him. They can kiss his head. And as he grows up and becomes a man, People can shake his hand and, and get to know him, talk to him, and be his friend. They, they will see God face to face. And this was never possible before. David didn't see God. Moses could barely look at the back of God as he walked past. So the angels are not just announcing the birth of Messiah. They're announcing a new way of life, free from the chains of sin, free from anxiety, and, and stress, the stress of the circumstances of life, and, and free from full freedom to commune with God. The temple curtain will be torn in two. No more barrier between God and man because the Messiah is here. He's come to do so many things. He's come to help us better understand who God is. He's come to be our savior and free us from sin. And in doing so, he's come to bring peace to us and through us. So that's the song that the angels sang to the shepherds. But now I want to look at how we should respond to this song. Let's look at the shepherds' response. The angels finished their announcement and, and their song of praise. And how do the shepherds respond? 
They're in awe, right? They're filled with wonder about these things. But they don't really know what to do, so they just go back to taking care of sheep, right? No. What did we see before? They had ears to hear. The angel told them what to look for, and they went to see what this was all about. I'm sure they didn't understand immediately what was happening. I mean, it must have been pretty overwhelming to be staring up at a sky full of angels singing probably the most beautiful song you've ever heard. But they did hear the message. They knew that this wasn't just an announcement for no reason. God had chosen them to be one of the first to hear this good news. The Messiah has come. So I think there's three things we can learn from the shepherd's response. Number one, they responded in faith. The shepherds heard the announcement, they heard the song, and they just didn't, they didn't just sit on it, they went. They received the revelation from God, and then they responded to it. They don't question like Zechariah, whom the angel Gabriel visits to announce the birth of his son, John, And Zechariah doesn't believe it. Zechariah was a priest, and he doesn't receive this message. He doesn't believe it at all. Come on, Gabriel, that can't be true, he says. I'm paraphrasing. And Gabriel basically says, who do you think I am? Why else would God send me? Do you think I came here to joke around? I'm an angel. I stand in the presence of God. Giving messages directly from God is my job. I'm not here to play cards, Zechariah. I'm here to give you a message from God himself. The shepherds, on the other hand, immediately say to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. And this is kind of funny because they they wouldn't have known exactly where the location was. Bethlehem wasn't a big city, but still the angels didn't give them the exact location. So they know he's lying. They know he's in Bethlehem. They know he's lying in an animal's trough somewhere, but that's not really much to go off of. So I think it shows us a a lot about their faith, actually. Um, They trust the angels, they get caught up in the excitement, and they just go. Can you imagine 30 or so shepherds, super excited, running into Bethlehem, maybe a rod in one hand? Have you seen a newborn baby? We're looking for a baby in a feeding trough. Um, But they believed and they went. They sought out that baby. And that's faith. We We don't always get all the details, but God says, follow me. We don't always know exactly what to do or even where to go. He just says, seek me and you will find me. Work out what I'm working in you. With faith, there has to be initiative and effort on our end. There has to be a response. Faith is not stationary. There's a doing. Sometimes there's a going. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, I don't have this on a slide, but it says we walk by faith. We walk. There's movement, right? We walk by faith and not by sight. So the second response of the shepherds to the angel's message is that they proclaimed what they had seen. They find Mary and Joseph and the baby, And verse 17 says, they told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. So they hear the message, they respond in faith, they go, they tell others, and then what is the fruit of their proclamation? 
God is glorified, right? Verse 18 says, All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. The shepherds have now become the messengers of God. They are proclaiming the good news. They are glorifying God in the highest. And now it's those hearers' responsibility to respond to God's message. Do these people who, who were told are astonished, do these people respond? Do they go and seek the baby for themselves? We don't know. Maybe they do. But the proper response of all who hear the revelation of God is to believe it, because if it's coming from God, it's truth, and to act, to respond in faith, and then to proclaim it. There's another fruit that comes from the shepherd's proclamation, and that's this. Their witness or their testimony about the angels and what they had seen and heard was an encouragement or a confirmation to Mary and Joseph. Verse 16 says, And they, the shepherds, went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known this saying that had been told them concerning this child. So in other words, they tell Mary and Joseph about their angelic encounter, about what the angels said to them. And then in verse 19, it says, um, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Mary and Joseph had had their own angelic encounter at least nine months earlier. But you know how it is. Time goes by and we forget. Um, is that really what I saw or is that really what happened? Unfortunately, as imperfect people in an imperfect world, it's easy to let doubt come into our minds. Did that really happen the way I remember it? But God wanted to reaffirm to Mary and Joseph that this really was the Messiah. The message that I sent with the angels who visited you has become reality. Isn't that so like God? The shepherds are not only witnesses of the angels' announcement, they are an encouragement and a confirmation to Mary and Joseph about what God has done. And they spread this good news throughout the region. They become messengers of God themselves. There are so many layers here, and it all fits together. I could do a whole sermon just on this. That's what God does. He uses one event to do so many different things in so many people's lives. So our witness or our proclamation about God's revelation is what he, and what he's done can, can also be an encouragement to others. That's why we need to share our testimonies with each other, um, because it's what God has done in your life. And it, and it really is an encouragement to others. So the shepherds respond in faith. They proclaimed what they had seen. And thirdly, they praised God. Verse 20 says, The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. This is the same word, Greek word, that is used for the angel's praise. Aneo, it means to praise, to extol, to sing praises to God. Um, maybe they even sang the same song as the angels. Maybe they remembered it. And like the angels, they couldn't contain themselves. They couldn't hold it in. Just as Jesus explains to the Pharisees when they complain about people praising 
him as he enters Jerusalem, he says, if they don't praise, the rocks are going to cry out. This is the most glorious and the most important event in human history. And the shepherds have been honored by being one of the first to hear about the Messiah. And the way they hear it is just overwhelming. I'm sure they were overwhelmed with thanksgiving. Thank you, God, for blessing us with this honor. Thank you for sending the Messiah. And thank you for letting us lowly shepherds participate and see for ourselves. So I want to point out a pattern in the Christmas story, in the Christmas narrative. Mary also had a message from, from an angel. She also responded with faith, proclamation, and praise, just like the shepherds. She says to the angel after he delivers, after he delivers his message, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So she receives this revelation from God. She believes it. And she also proclaims and praises. She, she, and she takes action and she goes, right? She goes to Elizabeth. And when she sees Elizabeth, she bursts into song. And her song is both proclamation and praise. The song that she sings in Luke 1. Um, I'm, I'm sure she, she sat down with Elizabeth and, and explained everything that had happened. But her song is filled with what God has done and what he will do. And she gives him all the glory, glory to God in the highest, right? And then we see Zechariah, who is also a part of this Christmas story, but his, his response is a little bit different. He actually doesn't believe at first. Um, but you know what? God has mercy on him. And through the closing of his mouth and the very real pregnant wife in front of him, he does come to believe what the angel Gabriel has said was truth. He doesn't go anywhere. He doesn't respond, but he, sorry, he does eventually respond with faith. The angel had told him to name the baby John, and, and, and when, when Zechariah directs this to happen, I think he writes it down, his name shall be John, because the father was the final say back then for, for the name of the baby. His mouth is immediately opened. And what does he do? He proclaims and praises. So in today's passage in Luke, we saw the shepherds respond in faith, proclamation, and praise. But actually, we see the angels do that as well. They are also sent. They also obey and go. And they proclaim the good news good news that Jesus is Messiah, and then they praise as well. So this is, this is kind of a model for us on how to respond to the revelation of God. When God works in us, we need to do exactly what Paul tells, us, tells the Philippian believers to do in Philippians 2. Basically, he says, work out what God is working in you. So we, we, we respond in faith, we work it out, and then we proclaim what he has done. We tell others, this is what God is doing in my life, or this is what God has done in me. Christ came as a light to the world, and now he's tasked us with being that light. So I want to light this last candle, which represents Christ and, and what he's done. He came 
as a baby. It's not going to light for me, is it? <laughs> he came as a baby. He lived for us and he died for us, washing away our sins, making us a new creation, and breaking down the barrier between us and God. Why don't we pray together in closing? God, we, we thank you for today. We thank you that we can celebrate what you've done. We thank you that you've done this for us, God, that you, you came, you lived on earth, um, and you died and rose again on our behalf so that we could be made clean, that we could be made a new creation, God, and that we could come to you anytime, anywhere, because you've, you've broken that barrier, you've opened the way for us. So again, we, we praise you and we thank you and we praise you now as we're, we're about to sing again to you. We pray all this in your name. Amen.